Welcome to the second episode of Perfecting Potatoes Together, brought to you by BASF. My name is Cedric Porter, and I'm the editor of World Potato Markets and co-host of the Planet Potato podcast. This time we're talking about alternaria, but before we do, it's time for a cuppa. But how do you have yours? I'm still a bit of a cow's milk kind of guy myself, and I've not been tempted by any of the uh, growing number of alternatives like soya and almond and oat milk until now. Last week, I ordered my first batch of potato milk. Uh, it's called Dug, D-U-G, uh, and it's a Swedish in- innovation. Uh, and it claims to use a lot less land than oat milk and 50 times less water than almond milk. So ticking all the green boxes there. Uh, it's not like cow's milk, I must admit, but my daughter, who's more of a, an aficionado of these things, she reckoned it stood up well to other alternatives. I liked its multi-taste when it was when it's frothed up in a, in a coffee. Um, I think it's a real welcome addition to the market uh, and may provide opportunities for the use of uh, outgraded potatoes in the future. So, so bring it on and hopefully we can have um, some British uh, potato milk at some point as well. Uh, and also that anything that tackles climate change has to be a good idea, as we've sort of seen this year on the potato crop being hit uh, um, by perhaps what is a changing climate, certainly extreme weather, uh, both in this country and elsewhere. Uh, so let's turn from alternatives to alternaria. With me, I have uh, Ruri Bain, who's the a potato pathologist with the SRUC in Scotland, and Paul Goddard, who's the stewardship and value chain manager with BASF. Ruri, let's start with you, uh, and let's start with the basics. What is alternaria? How can you identify it? Uh, what damage does it do? And what should you do if you find it? Okay. Alternaria, it's quite a complicated situation because there are, there are two species of alternaria. Um, there's alternaria solani, which is the main pathogen which causes early blight. Um, but there is another species of alternaria heavily associated with potatoes, and that is alternaria alternata, and it causes a disease called brown spot. So straight away, it's a bit more complex than, you know, Phytophthora blight, which everybody is probably more more familiar with. Um, in terms of identification, again, it's 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 difficult. It's um, it's harder to identify accurately than Phytophthora blight. The reason for that is that it, the symptoms can be confused with other diseases. Uh, late blight, for example, on the leaves. It can also be confused with, uh, well, there is confusion between brown spots caused by alternata and also um, an early blight. And it can also, to make matters even worse, it can be confused with, you know, physiological conditions um, and, you know, crop injury. But, for example, ozone damage can be quite difficult to to tell apart from from alternaria. So to cut a long story short, what what we really need is um, a a, a good in-field rapid diagnostic so that we could say with with, with certainty what what we're actually dealing with. Is there such a thing or uh, an in-field diagnostic or are you you and others working on that? I'm not, no, we we are not working on that. but th- th- there has been work which has been taking place. I-, I know there's been work in the Netherlands, which was reported on a couple of years ago now. I'm not sure how far that has got, but 
we really do need to know um, whether it's definitely alternary or whether it's something else. Um, partly, obviously, because you know to apply fungicides to control it, then we want to be sure that we're applying fungicide you know, when the disease is present and not when it's something non-pathogenic, for example. But also, it would be really useful to know when to when when to start the, the fungicide program as well. So that 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 would be a big step forward. So it's good that that work works being done this year. Uh, what's what's the sort of alternate area a situation like this year? We've had an unusual year in terms of cold start um then we've had wet and then we've had heat um uh, we seem to have had all extremes what what's it shaping out up like this year short answer to that cedric is um i'm not entirely sure what what i would say is that the, the the risk is likely to be high um simply because a lot of the factors which favor the disease have been you know conducive to the disease we've had you know warmer temperatures the the optimum temperature range for this for alternaria is between 20 and 30 degrees so you know we, we've had that um we've had stressed crops stressed crops due to um you know lack of moisture and and the high temperatures uh, depending which part of the country you're in and we've also had obviously a fair bit of irrigation so we've had alternating wet and dry so a, lo a lot of the risk factors are sort of coming together so that this should be seen as you know a higher risk season compared with you know a, a cool wet one which uh, quite quite often we get such as we had that last year so yeah so people should really be uh, very much on on the lookout for it um and and so just just that sort of identification between um late blight or or, or, or or what most of us think is sort of standard blight and alternate area how can you sort of tell the difference i presume if you if you've got either then then the, the the red lights should be flashing uh yes i mean both, both diseases are, are now a cause of you know um, a cause of concern late blight's always been a worry uh, everybody's aware of that early blight used to be a minor disease but now for some crops in the UK, it's a you know it's a significant disease which can cause you know very substantial yield loss. Um, now, as far as identifying them, the late blight lesions, the best thing to do is to take lesions, take leaf material, put it in a poly bag, incubate it at room temperature for 24, 48 hours and you're almost guaranteed to get nice fluffy sporulation round the outside of the brown lesion so that's relatively straightforward to distinguish true early blight then really what you're looking for are shiny lesions which look appear to have a, like a gloss paint finish and more likely than not they will have a, a target appearance concentric rings uh, within the lesion those really are the characteristics, the, the, the you know the main characteristics for Alternaria solanae, which causes early blight. Um, quite often as well, there's yellowing around the lesions. The the pathogen produces toxins, which interfere with the plant tissue and uh, cause chlorosis. And then then once you've identified, then then what should that uh, next course of action be? 
or quite quite often the action should have been before it's identified. This this is this is another problem with alternaria in that if the variety isn't terribly susceptible, then it's okay to start the fungicide program for alternaria when the first symptoms are seen. But if you're dealing with a, a particularly susceptible variety in a high risk area, then really the fungicide program should start before there are any symptoms at all. And for that, you would need a, you would need a, a forecasting model to actually be sure um, of you know, the ideal time to start. So in that situation, most people will fall back on you know, starting relatively early in the season and continuing season long. The, the, the problem with these very susceptible varieties is that the disease can go from very early symptoms to quite badly damaged leaves in, in, in about a week. Uh, and really, in, in that situation, the fungicide is not going to have too much impact on the progression of the disease. That, that's that's thanks thanks for that, Rui. Let's turn to Paul. Um, in, in terms of the the sort of products that you deal with, um, from your point of view, uh, how do you see this year as a, an alternaria year, an early blight year? Um, as Rui has said, it's uh, there's the the conditions there to, to stress the crops and alternate areas regarded as a weak pathogen, so usually it's regarded as needing help to get going. Um, obviously, there's varieties that are more susceptible than others, which uh, need a little bit less help, it's fair to say. Um, so anything that stressed the crop will be conducive for disease development. Um, it then comes around to the infection pyramid um, about having the, the spores having a susceptible host and, and the conditions coming together. Um, I think realistically, we're probably moving into uh, a, a time where we're more likely to see alternaria. And that's the, the interesting thing about the name. We have late blight, which we probably associate more with earlier season, although it can affect, it affects all through the season. And there's a particular problem towards the end of the season for tuber blight and early blight probably comes in later and when the crop is more more stressed because later in the season as we move into July move into August crops are more more stressed I have seen alternaria in in crops this year although I haven't seen it being a, a particular problem at this point in time but as I say we're still we're still early we are and that damage to the to, to the leaves that's pretty crucial at this time sort of early early August and beyond, isn't it? Because those those leaves are still doing a, a, a big job in, in bulking up the potatoes underground. Indeed they are, yes. Um, you know, they talk about a week um, around the summer solstice, the longest day being worth three weeks in September. Um, so we're, we're a little bit after the, the summer solstice now, but we're not that far away. Um, so you could be looking at if, if you lose foliage by or a proportion of foliage now, the the light that it intercepts because it is it's high quality light. It's more intense at this time of year than it is later in the year, um, and the days are that bit longer as well. Then actually it, it's, it's it's really important we can maintain that foliage for as long as we possibly can to uh, to drive the yield. Yeah, and the products that um, that that you have uh, on the market, uh, can you just explain what what's there already, and and perhaps what's uh, coming coming down the track? 
So in, in terms of products in the marketplace now, we rely very heavily upon, I think, the makers are being used for late blights. Um, it's an unsung hero. I often describe it as a bog off, buy one, get one free, because it's used for, in a significant proportion of the late blight program, but also gives activity against early blight. Uh, we talk about 1,500 grams of active per hectare is used in a dose. Um, it being uh, able to give some control of alternaria. Otherwise, we're relying very heavily upon three chemistry groups, the QOIs, the SDHIs, and triazole chemistry. Now, in terms of resistance, resistance being documented widely in Europe and the UK for QOI chemistry, so that's the strobilurin chemistry. SDHI chemistry, it, resistance is less widespread, but it's still pretty well documented in Europe and uh, it has been found over here as well. That leaves us with triazole chemistry, which it, there hasn't been any, thankfully, resistance um, documented against that, um, either in Europe or in UK at present. In terms of where we are with our portfolio, we have uh, Signum, um, an EMU, that's going to be coming on off-label use uh, soon. Um, that is both SDHI and uh, QOI chemistry. So yes, there is resistance out there, but I think having both products in a co-formulation will be possibly the a better situation than having just one chemistry in the formulation. Um, looking to the future, we have a very exciting product coming. Um, this is our uh, 750 Revisol chemistry, uh, an isopropanol triazole. Um, this has recently been approved in cereals and moved the game forward in terms of disease control there. And this is what we have seen in our trials with, uh, with Alternaria, um, trials in the UK and trials across Europe. And in terms of the, the current standard, current triazole standard, we see this as being, uh, or our 750 Revisol as being, both stronger and more reliable in terms of its its activity. And we're looking at, we've had a number of trials um, in our development program and of the 26 trials that we've had recently, yes, diphenaconazole gave a better result than our 750 Revisol in three of them. Um, two were the same. 21 results, 750 Revisol gave a better control, level of control than diphenaconazole. And on top of that, we're also seeing the, the range of control we're getting being of the tighter band. We looked at between 75 and 100% reduction in disease, um, whereas diphenaconazole range from 42 to 99% control. So what we're seeing is a stronger product and a more reliable product in terms of its performance. And that should be approved before the end of this year, so available for use next year. So yeah, so that's good that that's that's coming up, uh, coming up next year for you, Ruri. Uh, in terms of um, uh, that sort of variety of, of 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 chemistry, have we got enough chemistry, um, and and are we using them in an integrated um, way well enough? I suspect the answer to that is no. Uh, well, certainly to the first part. Um, no, we, we, we've got, as, as Paul has already outlined, um, you know, we, we've got three modes of action, essentially, 
plus the man gazebo, obviously, at the moment. Uh, and really, that's not enough <laughs> because, you know, as Paul said already, you know, we, we have resistance to, to QOIs, to SDHIs. So the resistance is there. Um, but I think it's important to say that, you know, that doesn't mean that the, the chemistry is ineffective. Uh, it depends on the proportion of the resistance, obviously, in, in, in any local population. But if we compare the situation we have for early blight, Alternaria solani, with late blight, Phytophthora infestans, then basically we've got about one quarter of the number of modes of action that we do have for late blight, and really three modes of action plus mangazeb isn't enough. We, we really need more. Um, so, you know, if, if new modes of action can be found, then then that would be good. I did, I did hear there's an early indication that um, potassium phosphonate may give a reasonable level of alternating control. Uh, and it's a multi-site fungicide. So with Mangazeb probably going at some time, it's good to have something else coming in. But 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 even so we could we could do with more modes of action than we do actually have. And so it's good to have that that investment um, that, that that's coming along, uh, and then there's that commitment. Then I pres presume to to find that um, potato chemistry, um, Paul. That's that's very much a commitment from BASF. Indeed, yes, it's a, a very exciting development. It's the a new generation of uh, triazole chemistry, isopropanol triazole. Um, we actually entered the market last season in in the cereal arena and has been a, a big step forward in terms of disease control there. And we've seen exactly the same through our trials uh, in potatoes against Alternaria. The active is methentrifluconazole, which is uh, easy to say with a lot of practice. Um, the formulation, um, 75 gram per litre SC, um, and can be used up to three applications in a program. Um, in terms of the timing, we can start from BBCH20 to, and run all the way through to 97. So I, I would say our, our regulatory colleagues have done an excellent job here because we, we can use this product from, I would suggest, before you probably need to until after you would need to. But it gives that flexibility so you can get in early should you really want to. Because as we know with this disease, it's too late when you can see it. You can't undo it. Um, so we need to be there before. This product does have um, curative activity, um, but at the end of the day, the best way to use chemistry is in a preventative form. Um, that, that's where you get the, the strongest, uh, that's where you get the, the, the chemistry working at its strongest. So as I say, it's a step forward in, in where we are in terms of the, the chemistry that's available today. When you look at the Euroblight, um, we have the the chemistry that's available there currently being in the twos and the threes, and this is a step forward. It's in the middle of the fours. It is so uh, uh, a different league to the the chemistry that is uh, relied upon today. A nice step forward in terms of strength and reliability. Now we'd like to ask our guests what their favourite thing about potatoes is. So Rory, what's your favourite thing about potatoes? The thing I like most about potatoes, being, being a pathologist, um, I quite enjoy working with them in terms of trials and so on. But uh, 
being serious, I think the, the main thing I enjoy about them is, is actually eating them. Um, my favourite form in terms of eating them uh, is probably crisps in terms of, you know, the quantity of potato that I eat in, in, in different forms. So probably, yeah, really enjoy eating crisps. And um, I also enjoy steaming them. I think that the best way to cook them is, is, is actually to steam them um, rather than boiling them in water. I, I really enjoy steamed potatoes, um, particularly waxy varieties. Very, very fond of waxy varieties rather rather than floury, floury potatoes. The main advantage um, I, I see with potatoes over you know other carbohydrates is just the, the sheer variety of ways you can actually cook them. Uh, there's so much variation you can introduce compared with you know rice and pasta which tends to be a bit samey um, potatoes endless recipes for potatoes so yeah i really i really enjoy cooking them eating them paul in the first episode you shared your potato wish list uh this time what's your favorite thing about potatoes i like the diversity that they bring um it's very easy to look upon a potato as being just a potato and that's maybe what some of the too many of the consumers do. But when you actually look at the, the crops, um, you see that there's a very different growth habit in them. Um, the flowers, for example, um, it's not a bee friendly crop, it's worth saying, um, but they can be quite pretty. There's a whole array of different flower types and different colours. And ultimately, the, the bit below ground, the bit that we we're really interested in, the bit that we, we grow it for, the bit that we eat, when you look at the colours, the shapes, the sizes, um, the textures, um, how you can use them. There's a, a massive diversity in the crop. Um, I think there's very few crops out there that has the same level of diversity to it. It can be used in so many ways, um, can be seen in so many different ways, look in so many different ways. So it's, as I say, the, the diversity, Cedric, that really um, appeals to me, that I really like. Thanks, Paul. This podcast is all about perfecting potatoes together. So we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter at BASFCropUK or sign up to our Perfecting Potatoes Together initiative by joining the Real Results Circle and selecting potatoes. To find out more and to sign up to get involved, visit www.agricentre.basf.co.uk slash real hyphen results slash potatoes www.agricentre.basf.co.uk slash real hyphen results slash potatoes. So many thanks again to Riri and Paul and for you for listening. Wishing you good potato growth in the next few crucial weeks. And until next time on Perfecting Potatoes Together, goodbye. <laughs>